Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Dang, y'all got me I'm crying before the doggone sermon. PhDs everywhere and, and, and then this. Mm, I gotta get myself together. When I look at what I just saw, and people talk bad about millennials all the time, I'm just telling y'all, when I, y'all minister to me, when I watch so many of y'all ferociously are committed to Jesus Christ, and so I got a different picture of y'all. I'm just letting y'all know that. If don't nobody else love you, you know your pastor love you. Man. Good, gracious alive, man. Why y'all gonna do me dirty like that before I preach the sermon? I mean, we might have to cancel the videos, the, the, the black history. Dr. Gill, thank you for that. You know you're know you wrong for that, right, sister? I am so mad at you right now. And Christian, that's it. That's the last video. Jesus, man. I gotta understand, I remember Reggie in junior high school and so to see him now, he's built water systems in Thailand to help them to get clean water. This, y'all just, it's a lot going on in my mind, just experiencing just these generations and having different ones of you in my home and just seeing and hearing your story. Y'all mean so much to us in this church and I'm just excited to see y'all. I'm just trying to talk till this goes away. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Anyway, stand to your feet. Psalm 128. Woo. Jesus. All right. Psalm 128. On three. One, two, three, go. Amen. Amen. Uh, sermon title part two today, Vision for the Family, in our fourth, I believe, installment in our 22-week series on the family, Shaping Generations. Let's go before God. Father, we thank you, honor you for um, what you're doing and how you're shaping people. Um, God, I just thank you that even in the midst of so many different types of families and types of brokenness, um, it's amazing to see how the gospel needs to be 
shaped in every single person's life, no matter what type of family background they come from. And God, I'm thankful that this is a ministry that's not down on the younger generation. Um, but I see bright lights in every gathering of people. Um, just to see Jasmine just brought her house and she's inviting them in to do video and her leading here and um, just different ones. Alicia serving in the children's ministry and uh, uh, it speaks Cantonese, a black girl from Washington, D.C. Um, just amazing stuff, God. Um, and Mandarin fluently and just seeing those type of things just amazes me, God. And that can only be done by your mercy. So, God, help me to get through this sermon, please. Oh, my God, help me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, 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 and amen. Right. Um, Psalm 128. So as we look at um, Epiphany Fellowship being what's called a church planting church. Um, in other words, a church that births other churches. We are um, with a global movement of church planting churches all over the world that is planting churches in ancient Syria, um, uh, South Africa, um, Australia, uh, Eastern and Western Europe, uh, um, Canada, South America, Central America, the Caribbean, uh, Malawi, if you will. So there is Uganda, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Liberia, just a, a global um, happening that is just mind-boggling. And a lot of churches, particularly that we plant, we plant in what's called underserved communities. And as, and as many churches find their way into doing what is called church planning or church startup, the reason why we do church startup is because there are places that are in desperate need of the gospel but need more witnesses through the church to be able to be able to bring the planting of the gospel to those particular places. And in doing that and looking through that, one of the things that I, we are about to begin helping churches understand is the core need for family ministry. Um, every church planter, you would just kind of behind the curtain stuff, but we have something called a, a, a strategic startup ministries. In other words, those things that you need to have on deck as tools of the gospel outside of Sunday morning service to help serve and build up singles and uh, uh, all different types of things that, that, that are set up. And one of those things that I'm believing that a lot of church plants have a deficiency in is family development family development where we begin to clearly help singles understand their role in family and, they, and that they are a part of family. Um, men and women having a beautiful and clear roles. And so one of the things <coughs> that we would love to see, and this is from a vision standpoint as we dive into how relevant Psalm 127 is to all of this, um, because we need strong women's ministries that balances the theological and the life skill implementation of praxis. We need men's ministries that develop visionary gatekeepers in the home and in the church. We need children's ministries that supplement the leadership and vision and stratagem of godly homes and that minister to homes that aren't yet redeemed by the gospel. We also need, a, 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 a need ministry to single moms that don't shame their season but redeems and supports them. You should have said a loud amen right there. 
We need ministry for babies' fathers or baby daddies who do more than child support engagement, but engages in balancing relational connection to the baby's mom and influence of the child so that they can work together that even though they won't be together, they are co-leaders in that child's life. And if believers, they need to be nurtured and developed in how to work together in that system to help that child have a healthy view of family. We need a ministry that trains, trains blended families to actually blend versus acting as a divided, dysfunctional get-along. That's what we need. Um, we, we, we also need ministry that aids the single to get beyond the sulking of singleness and moves to purposeful singleness and encouraging those who are functioning already in godly singlehood. Don't assume that all singles are struggling with wanting to be married. Some are already walking in singlehood in a powerful way and we need to continue to encourage them in their singleness. In other words, overall, the church needs to become uh, a family nurturing center. So we come here to Psalm 127. Remember, these are the pilgrim psalms. These are the psalms that they utilize, or psalms of ascent, some would call them. And these are the psalms that are utilized as ways to help the family on their voyages to and from Jerusalem to be encouraged in worship and to build um, their identity as family as not just connected to one another, but connected to Yahweh. In other words, there should be leadership in families that don't just want to be good fathers and mothers and good brothers and sisters, aunties and uncles and cousins. That's good, but we got to upgrade you. We want to be a family that, uh, and leaders that point our families towards the living God so that we can know that in him we live and we move and we have our being. And he called, a, he called people from every nation and all peoples into one place to be a people. So no matter what your background is, all of us are called to be God's people and they should be raised in a healthy environment that nurtures that reality from birth and so this psalm is connected actually deeply to the next psalm some scholars believe that Psalm 127 and 128 although distinguishing psalms that are different they are deeply connected and possibly are almost one psalm together which brings me to my first point if we're going to look at and see the vision of the family I got one point today just one just one, we must take God seriously in our homes. <clears throat> we must take God seriously in our homes. He says in, in, in verse one, um, he, he says, how happy or blessed, if you will, <clears throat> is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. This is an interesting um, beginning of the verse because <clears throat> um, many old other translations will translate the happy as blessed. And I'll, and I'll explain that in a second because we'll see a different word for blessed used later. There are two strong words in the Old Testament that can be translated blessed. It's one that's a share and the other word is barak. Um, but but, but they, they have two distinct usages of that points to something in particular. A share, somebody say a share. Yeah, 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 yeah. Somebody gonna name their child that. That's a cute name, right? A share. 
Bless, that's a dope name. You already wrote it down, right? There's nothing wrong with that, use it. <laughs> um, um, but, but, but interestingly enough, as we look at um, these verses and we look at the beauty of the word a share, a share points to satisfaction. In other words, he, he's saying, how satisfied is the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways? Now, a share is an interesting term as we open up the ideology of this term because a share is something that not, not used of God towards man. God doesn't use it, and it's not something man uses towards God. It's something that man experiences as he walks in the fear of the Lord, which I'll explain in a second. In other words, as you walk in the fear of the Lord, the result of that is satisfaction. Now, the question is, if, 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 if walking in the fear of the Lord produces, listen, satisfaction, then, 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 then what does it mean to fear the Lord? Um, there, there are a multiplicity of ways to, that the Old Testament talks about <laughs> fearing the Lord. Co contrary to popular belief, there is one that does mean, we usually shirk away from it, that means absolute terror and fear. One ideology of that. <clears throat> okay, but, but, but that's not what it is here. It, it has <clears throat> a dual sense of meaning, which, 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 which means to reverence God. But, 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 but even more deeper than that, that's beautiful. It means get, stand in awe of God. Stay in awe of the reality of God, which imagines the person looking at God and being rocked by him. In other words, in response to his omniscience, in response to his omnipresence, in response to his omnipotence, in response to his spirituality, in response to his expanse, in the response to the fact that from everlasting to everlasting he is God, you begin to get so rocked by his presence. You get so rocked by what you see who he is based on the scriptures, not merely chills down your back, but the reality of who God communicates that he is. And what happens is you get rocked and you stand in awe of him. But you take it to another level. It means to take God seriously. Real simple. Real simple. Fearing God means you don't take God lightly, but you take God seriously. Why is that important? It's very important because you don't have satisfaction as a believer until God is taken seriously in your life. <laughs> let, 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 me, let me see if I can make this point. Because see, some of y'all looking at me funny. Um, it's interesting, I was, I, you know, when, when me and my kids are having some veg out time, me and my oldest two, we'll, we'll look at, you know, YouTube video, fun little YouTube videos. And there's one video, you know, it was these croc handlers. And, you know, we watching old buddy, he, he, he you know, he, he doing this crocodile thing all the time, right? So the croc got his mouth open, you know how they had their mouth open, like that. You understand what I'm saying? And so the crowd is around. Yeah, he doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing, doing, you know, having him a good time. You know what I'm saying? Playing and going all in his mouth like that. I'm like, all right, keep playing with that crop. You understand what I'm saying? But you have to know that their muscles are very sensitive to something. If it, if if something physical touches their tongue or in their mouth, it automatically goes clamp clamp. So I don't know what touch, I don't know if a piece of sweat. Man, look, that joint went, pow! That mug went to a death roll like this, and then the camera went off, and cats running all over there. And you know, and you know why he got his arm tore up? Because he didn't take the croc seriously. 
And when you don't take God seriously, there are deep consequences in your life that can put your life in a broken death roll to take you in places that you never thought you'd go because you didn't take God seriously. The godly person takes God seriously because God demands and deserves to be taken seriously. Fear the Lord. And when you take God seriously, when you take God seriously, what happens is, is your life begins to change. And as you take God seriously, there are things that you'll be frustrated with that other people get to get away with that you don't. Oh, help me today, God. Um, you ever felt like as a believer that there are people that they can do what in the heck they want to do, and it just seems like they are numb, they, they don't feel nothing, but soon as you think about doing it, the Holy Ghost got you in a rear naked choke in your soul about just the thought of it. Because you fear the Lord and the Holy Spirit loves you enough to make you feel grieved because you actually take God seriously. And, and so this is the, the idea here, as we, we'll see in a minute, is really leading the man to lead the household in taking God seriously. Men are supposed to lead in taking God seriously, whether you're married or not. Some of you as men in your families are looked up to by younger members of the family because you are one of the pictures of manhood that they have in the family. And so because of that, you may be an uncle, you may be a big cousin, and you may even be a father, right? But what happens is, is when men take God seriously, it changes the, tra the trajectory of the dynasty like we talked about last week in the household. And so when the, when the, when the writer here helps us to understand the beautiful ideology of what it means to take God seriously. He says he walks in his ways. How do you begin to develop in taking God seriously? You follow his commands. Because the text says, the text says, listen, listen, the text says, the text says we walk in his ways. Walking in his ways means behavior based on the right information. Behavior based on the right information. So when we look at that, so, because, but under the new covenant, we follow the law of Christ. This is very important. We follow the law of Christ in the fulfillments of the requirements of the law. Love God, love neighbor. Remember, the Bible, the laws are set up in two different sectors. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the first few commandments focus on loving God. The rest of the, the, the commandments focus on loving neighbor. That's why the cross is like this. The cross is like this to help you to have a vertical and horizontal commitment to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what you see in all of the 613 laws is the laws can be broken up into or symphonically connected to either loving God is directed towards God or is directed towards how we treat our neighbor. And some laws are so symphonically glorious and poetic that when you do one, you do both at the same time. And so, and so when, you, when you look at this reality, the law of Christ is, is bearing one another's burdens, right? And so, and that, that, but that all comes from what? Knowing and understanding God and his word and keeping it. One of my favorite things that displays what it looks like to have a disposition where you stand in awe of the reality of God and not only stand in awe of the reality of God, but take God seriously. Psalm 119.33 through about the 40th verse, it says, you can put it up there. It says, teach me, Lord the meaning of your statutes. And I will always keep them. 
Help me understand your instruction and I will obey it. Listen to the death. He's not saying I'll just do it. He's connecting his ability to stand in awe of God to God's ability and commitment to help him to do it, not on his own, but by the strength of God. He says in verse 35, help me. Listen to what he's saying. Help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence. Listen to that. Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, for your judgments are good. How long, how I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. And so as a man begins to have this type of disposition, so a lot of beautiful things happen. When a, man is, when a man is on tap fearing the Lord, you can trust that the sinfulness that's inside of that person will be dealt with through the process of their fear of the Lord. That's why if we, it, we affirm singlehood, but if we're talking about people who want to be married, one of your main things you should be looking for to be found by or to find is a person that fears God. You, I mean, you, can, you, can, you can look at hair texture all you want to. You can look at how they, how they dress and what their body, all that stuff we may, may, we may look at. But I'm telling you, you, you do not want a person that cares nothing about the heart of God. Because I'm telling you, you can go anywhere. You can go anywhere with somebody who fears God. Because even if y'all disagree, they'll get with the Lord and he'll do something on them. See, so you need somebody, you need somebody you can argue with and at the end of the argument, oh, you know, do your thing. But I'm praying for you because I know you love the Lord and your love of the Lord and my prayers is going to work on you. Hallelujah, right? That's what you can do. Because when you, can, when you trust that someone knows God, See, you don't have to do a bunch of work. See, see, if you have to work on some, if you are trying to marry somebody you have to work on, you need to run away from that person. But if, 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 if you can tr and trust that God is already working on that person, it makes what is already hard in marriage easier. All the married people know exactly what I'm talking about. So what a man, what a man, what is a man doing in this? When a man builds a household that fears the Lord, he must manage the spiritual life of those in the household without controlling it and creating over-dependence on him. Okay? This is very important. Very, very, very important. When, when you fear the Lord, family, you can manage the spiritual life of the family or the household without controlling it and creating over-dependence. One of the things that we do in my house is we have, we have worship times and we have times where we get in the Word together. And that's good. I think I encourage you to, <clears throat> to do that, get your kids in the Word and that type of thing. But now with my oldest and with my middle son, I'm transitioning them to not be dependent for me to always teach them the Word of God. So what I'm training them to do as their father is I'm asking them, I'm not going to police them about whether or not they got in the word. 
I say, son, have you gotten God's word? What have you read? If you need some help with something to go through, I'll give assignments and that type of thing. Because what I want to do is I want, I'm going to lead them, feed them, but I want them to grow up having had been in the Bible themselves, having had interacted with God. And guess what? I don't overcorrect their interpretations of the Bible in the front end to give them freedom to work through what they believe about the Bible and nudge and nurture them without hatcheting them so that there can constantly be a verbal communication of biblical encouragement and exchange in the household. I'm telling you this good teaching. Because I'm telling you right now is you can't, no, I don't care how many verses you put up on the wall. I don't care if you got a Bible the size of this pulpit in the front door vestibule. <clears throat> um, at the end of the day, you can't control anybody's decision making when it comes to the Lord. You can only do your part as a leader in the home to build an environment that nurtures the opportunity for the spirit to encourage and to strengthen and to develop and, and, and go be small with that. Some of you single folk, single brothers and sisters too, you, you're able, you, you should be able to auntie and uncle yourself in relationships with family members. That means that some of you have to become less isolated and begin to be connected to family in a way where you're known so that when you want to talk to family members about the word, it doesn't feel evasive because you have no relationship. And so when, 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 men, when men, listen, when men um, are managing the home, these are some things that happen. This is what it looks like. Managing his relationship with his wife and children. You got to manage that. Uh, you got to manage that, your relationship. That means you have, again, I'm going to keep hammering away at this. Next week, we'll have two weeks on the sisters. All right? <clears throat> but here, there's some stuff in here for y'all, too. Don't start, don't start all that clapping. There's some stuff in here for you now. Amen. We're going to get there, right? Yeah. And so manage his relationship with his wife and children. One of the things that I want you to learn how to do in fearing God in your household and building that environment is learning how to be aware of your household. You have to be aware of what's going on in your household. And, and one of the things you have to be aware of is the hearts of your family members and the hearts of your children. And in shepherding their hearts, you know, one of the things that I'm telling you that God is working on me as a family shepherd in this season is how I shepherd my kids' hearts in their failures. Um, because I tend to be a, a drill sergeant. I know that's hard to believe, you know, but, but I tend to be quite the drill sergeant and the Holy Spirit was letting me know, it was, this, this is cool. And I'm gonna tell you where I started learning what I was like. So me and my kids used to watch the first Avatar together. We used to watch that together. That joint was amazing. That was a good cartoon. I mean, watched, I watch cartoons with my kids. We have fun like that. So Aang, the Avatar, was being trained how to um, bend earth, right? Bend earth and pick it up and move it and all of that, right? And the girl that was training him was real, she was a stout trainer. Like, you have to be stubborn and all of that, and she had to teach him how to do that. But the way she was talking to Aang, she was yelling at Aang and calling him dumb and walking, I ain't calling my kids dumb, but walking away, you know, acting all crazy. And then the girl that's a waterbender came to her and said, yo, like, what you, she didn't say yo, but she said, this is what you need to do. Aang doesn't respond well to harsh instruction. She said, what you have to do is you have to encourage without discouraging while correcting, and it will give him the confidence to do what you're trying to teach him to do. 
She was teaching herself into the oblivion. I was like, that's good teaching for me to learn from general revelation from a cartoon on how to shepherd my kids. <laughs> and so I had to reshape how I even talk to them, and I'm still catching myself, and I'm apologizing constantly. Dad shouldn't have yelled at you. I don't know why I yelled at you. I, that was the dumbest thing I've done, is to just start yelling at you for something that you didn't know, and I didn't teach you, but I'm angry at you that you didn't know it when I didn't teach you in the first place. Please forgive me. Right? I gotta move. Um, oversee discipline of children. We'll get to that later, but these are just some things to lay out. Responsible for the financial stability of the house. Amen. 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 Yeah. Financial stability of the house. Um, we'll get to that when we get to finances, but I'm giving you an overview of things that set the tone for fear of the Lord. Praying before you spend. We'll talk about that. Is the first thing you do run to spend because your check just dropped? Or you went to the check cashing place and please, we need to go to Financial Peace University if you go to the check cashing place so you can learn and not cash your check and have all your money in your pocket. That's a bad tool. We'll talk about that later. Manage the moral lives of those in the family. One of the things in building of, uh, a, 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 um, a culture of fear of the Lord, one of the things that I'm trying to do, even with my oldest, is I keep an eye on his phone. I keep an eye on his computer. I go into his searches. I put lockdowns on it. Um, because I ain't going to just entrust him to his phone. Hallelujah. All right. And so what uh, they ask for phone. Uh, he not on Instagram yet. He not on Facebook. My friends are. So what? Because I don't trust adult sinfulness with some of the stuff that's online, let alone trust in your situation. You understand? He growing, uh, you know, getting all beastie and chocolate handsome and everything. I'm like, bro, you understand? Nah, doc, we're going to have to control all that. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want you flexing online and all of that, son. And he just laughs it off. I say, you can laugh if you want to, right? We got to manage the emotional environment of the home. That's one of the things I'm working on. These are all, these are all in the text. This is all some practical ways to help you learn how to build fear of the Lord. Because the motion, I, I need to know, men, I'm just letting you know. You have to learn the emotional rhythms of a woman. During pregnancy, you need to read. You need to read. You need to have a what, what to expect next to the bed. See, this ain't preaching yet. It's going to preach soon, one of y'all. You understand what I'm saying? You also need to know, old, when, when your wife gets like, in the, the, the 40s, you need to know when premenopausal. Oh, see, I'm, I'm telling you this is good teaching. I'm telling you. When she's menopausal, postmenopausal, what happens? What happens during pregnancy and different? You, that's biblical to know, because then it'll control how you treat her in argumentation. 
Because when you know what's emotionally going on with a woman, it'll teach you to view what she's dealing with emotionally from a kingdom perspective versus a personal perspective where you're taking everything personally versus learning how to shepherd her through those troubling emotional seasons. You have to, you have to be able to know, know and love your wife through her challenges with emotional health. That doesn't make her weak. And I'm telling you, she'll love you more as you zoom lens into that. If you're, let me tell you what will happen if your wife see you studying her. That's what the Bible says, live with your wife in an understanding way. King James said, according to knowledge, it means you need to have a folder called wife. <laughs> we'll come back to that later. And I'm just telling you, you need to build your, you need to, you need to just begin to expand. We're going to talk about that in humanity. I got to move. We're going we to talk about it in humanity. Good God Almighty, we're going to talk about it. All right. We need to also manage the wife's spiritual and emotional development. That means, ladies, this is for you. You can't expect the man to oversee your spiritual life. You are a Christian, too. So that means he is not your mediator. You need to know Christ as your only mediator. He should only be a supplement to your commitment to Jesus Christ. So if we equal in value, Different in function, that means equal before God means both of us can hear from the Lord and there can be mutual encouragement in the household. Oh, I got to move. Oh, God. Uh, we're going to come back to that. Verse 2. <laughs> Verse 2. He says, you will surely eat. Talking about the results of fearing the Lord, this is what will happen. When you take God seriously and you walk in his ways, Generally, this is almost proverbial. This is general. This is a general rule, not including the exceptions. Generally, what happens is everything that comes next. Okay. Now, what it says in verse two, it says, "You will surely eat what your hands have worked for." That assumes you are working. You can't eat what your hands ain't worked for. It said, "You will be happy." There it is again and it will go well with you. In other words, as a result of hard work, uh, of hard work as a result of, is a result of fearing the Lord. So when you don't fear the Lord, your journey won't make sense. That's what it's saying. It said, in other words, if you're experiencing a lack of fruitfulness in your journey, it may be God utilizing the lack of fruitfulness as a signal to you that you aren't taking God as seriously as you should be. That's what he's saying here. That's, that's what he's saying here. And so men have to, uh, who have a low view of God tend to not experience as much life fruit. I'm not talking about wealth because it's possible to be wealthy and be unfruitful. So don't equate wealth with fruitfulness because there are a lot of wealthy people that are lonely and depressed and don't have any type of strong family structure. As a matter of fact, their wealth almost isolates them from being leaders, isolates them from being respected by their children, isolates them from being a nice person because their pursuit of wealth has divided them and isolated them from the truth of relationship. So if their money was gone, the people in their life would be gone. And so, but God longs to give support to men. God longs for this. Look at 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong 
for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. And he told Asa, you've been foolish in this matter. He said, God is, God is like roaming, looking for ways to give strong support to people's hearts who are on board with him. The question you have to ask yourself today is, is your heart on board with God? Is your heart on board with God or are you asking God to be on board with your heart? <laughs> because that's two different things. Um, because you can't feel God up, good about God only when you feel like he's supporting your agenda. As, as, a, as a leader, one of the struggles is bringing your agenda under God's agenda. And asking yourself, is this a thing of God? It's amazing. He said, you will be happy. In other words, you'll be satisfied as a result of this. Verse 3, he says, and this is what he says. He said, this is a result of this. He said, if you're married, he said, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like young olive trees around the table. This is amazing imagery. What makes this imagery interesting is calling the wife a vine calls, is, is actually pointing to her uh, uh, being a, 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 a facilitator of strength in the household. In other words, what a vine does is a vine is what carries the nutrients to the branches. When you look at the nutrients being brought to the branches, we're going to talk about this starting next week, but the wife in the home must be a life-giving sustenance bringer to the house, not a drainer of the sustenance in the house. In other words, women were birthed by God to be life-givers. And, and, and so, in, in other words, in the, in, in the way these olive trees, the way these olive trees work is, is these olive trees point to the fact, or branches point to the fact that the children are being well nurtured and they're clustered around the table, clinging to fellowship with mom and dad. Why? Because it all started with a healthy father that nurtured a household with a healthy mother who can bring all the sustenance. What's interesting is the man was never anointed to bring all the sustenance to the household. The man just supposed to create the environment where the wife can thrive to make the household thrive. That's good right there. I'm just telling you. And when that happens, healthy mom, healthy dad, not perfect, because you can be healthy and unperfect. Right? But, 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 but those two healthy leaders in the home, as the man gives oversight, and, and communicates with his spouse, and they're on the same page on how we are going to nurture a house that takes God seriously in this home, then guess what? When the man sets that in place, the wife is freed up to go berserk in her commitment to making sure that the family is going beast mode. This can happen in blended families. I'm going to get to blended families later, but what happens a lot of time in blended families is they don't get connected to each other, and then there are two or three families in the household, and then what ends up happening is the husband and the wife aren't on the same page. And what happens is kids are all over the place because the vision isn't unified under the acceptance of the man earning the right to parent the other kids that aren't biologically his. Well, we're going to get to that because it's going to be because we have to talk about all these different type of families. Are y'all tracking with me today? And, and in light of this reality, we have to begin to work through this. So what does this look like for the wife? This is beautiful. Um, this is beautiful because the woman who fears the Lord is a fruitful vine. Now look, 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 look what it says. She gives vitality to the house, health. 
strength. She gives durability to the house. Productivity, the house is fruitful. Longevity, the people in the house are well taken care of and have a spanning of life that's monstrositous. And I'm just letting you know that when you have a man that fears the Lord and a woman who has vitality, strength, and productivity, and longevity, that house, with all of its imperfections, will display the perfections of Jesus Christ in ways that you can never, ever, ever imagine. <laughs> this is amazing. It's amazing to me. He said, within your house. That means you can't be trying to do that in somebody else's house. can't have a family over here and a family over there. That's for free. It says, your house. That means stay in your situation. Hallelujah. Again. Anyway. A few things. Go to the few things page. This is very, very quick. Mothers should manage the home environment. And the general early education of children. We'll talk about that. I'm not talking about homeschooling. For the record, we, we don't like we believe that we, any type of way that you as a family decide to educate your kid, you need to have home education in general because you're a parent. But like you're supposed to teach your children. But there, there are different you know, ways to educate. If you choose homeschooling, fine. If you choose cyber school, if you try Christian school, if you choose public school, fine. I, I'm, I, I, you know, so this is we, we don't, you know. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> so. But, but, but in particular, there should be a close proximity. I'm not saying women can't work, but those first three years are key. We're going to come back to this later. As long as I'm going to teach, it's not going to be as preachy because I want you to get this. Those first three years of nurturing and uh, 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 maternal building are key. We're going to talk about that. Mothers are to teach by example, compassion, tenderness, and love. Y'all got to balance us out. That, like, 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 and it's, we got to balance us out because we tend to yeah, come into home, you know, and, and, and y'all, y'all got to be, bae, it's it, like the, the sin was here, the consequence is here. They have to meet, bae. They have you, you, you all the way on 10. I love you. Rub his back while you say it because he's going to be mad at you. You got to kiss him on the cheek, rub his back. When you tell your husband off, this is for free. When you tell your husband off, there's a, there's a, there's an art to telling him off in a way that he listens. You rub his back. You say, you say, you say. You know I love you, right, with your handsome self. See, my, my wife know how to do it. She said, you my ebony man. And see, I forget that she's getting me because, you know, she caramelized and everything. And so, and she kissed me on the cheek. And she begins to tell me off. And I figure out the next day that she was telling me off. But that's, that's how good women do, man. Anyway, mothers should set goals for their children. We're going to come back to that. I'm giving you precursors. Is that okay? And, 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 and that means in every stage of your child's development, you should have macro and micro goals for your children of things that you want to, because you can set that. The man doesn't have to do that. He sets the vision. You set the strategy. We're going to talk about We're going to come back to that. So mothers, she says specific goals, mothers must nurture the spirit of her child. Lord have mercy. Mothers, mothers, y'all got some, I, I, I'm not saying six cents, y'all got some type of thingamajiggle that God has given to y'all to like nobody. Like it's kind of like that Jesus asked the question, but really it's a question and the question behind the question that he asked. Y'all know how to do that. God, the holy Jesus gave y'all that. 
You know what I'm saying? And, and I don't know what that is, but y'all have a way. Learn how to nurture your kids. Mothers, train the child in interpersonal skills and social norms, because a lot of times, fathers, we don't know how to do that, how to train people in interpersonal skills, right? Because we're so brute sometimes in uh, and, and how we commit, I'm not putting men down, but sometimes, you know, women, y'all just know how to finesse things a little bit better than us. Verse four, in this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. That's the, this, this is what the result is. In other words, these are things that happen in your home. If your wife is not thriving, part of it is your fault. Not all of it, part of it is your fault. And if you're dating someone, thriving has to be more than kissing and holding hands. Thriving has to be, you, you have to see uh, uh, premarital thriving. In other, in other words, in, in that support, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but, 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 but when we look at this reality of him saying this in verse 5, as we come down to the why, he says, May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity, this is amazing, the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Now, bless you here is now Barak. Because as a result of this, the fearing the Lord God now sovereignly blesses without your personal activity doing anything to merit blessing. And so he's, he's, this, is a, this is a prayer. When you say, may the Lord, that's like a prayer or a wish that's being asked for, right? He says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. Why does it say bless you from Zion? Because at that time, that's what God's presence would bless from. But now we're in Christ. So we don't get blessed from Jerusalem anymore. We get blessed from within because Christ is inside of us. And because we've trusted him by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, we don't have to turn to the east to pray. We can just close our eyes or keep our eyes open and respond to God right where we are. And he can work the blessing inside of our soul because now we're tabernacles of his presence. He says, so that you will see prosperity. This is beautiful. Prosperity here is an interesting term because it's not just talking about financial prosperity. It's talking about quality of life. Quality of life starts with the central place back then was Jerusalem. If Jerusalem fell, that means all of Israel would fall. But he's saying, I want there to be a kingdom of people who fear the Lord and that Jerusalem stays in place because of their livelihood of life that commits them to the ability to keep the kingdom going. Now that we're in Christ, though, we don't keep the kingdom going. That's why Jerusalem was destroyed. And there's a holy city in heaven being built without human hands. The new Jerusalem that's one day going to come down and Christ will sit among us. And guess what? The life and blessing of the kingdom now doesn't come from our works, doesn't come from our activity, but it comes ultimately in what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's the beauty of being in Christ. And he says, and you will see and will and, and will see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. The beauty of this entire passage is 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 first. As we look at this and see what Christ has done for us, as we look at this ending, we see in, re, in, in, in living under Christ, Christ has redeemed men through his death and resurrection. And ultimately, Jesus is our vine like the woman is. God the Father is the one that's over the household of faith. Jesus Christ, based on John 15, supplies the nutrients so that we can be thriving olive branches throughout the kingdom. Jesus fully fulfills this passage. But interestingly enough, the passage is still 
connected to men taking God seriously in the household. In closing, um, a family had flickering light issues in their home, and the light kept flickering in the house, and it started getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and they couldn't do anything about it, so they ended up calling the electrician. And when the electrician came to the house, he went down and looked at their electrical box, and he said, oh, I already see what the problem is. He says, this electrical, he said, what this house needs, this electrical box can't bring the amount of electricity to the house that's needed to fulfill the needs within this home. So what I have to do is I have to expand this box's capacity so that when electricity comes to the home, there's no flickering of the lights in the home, but the electricity and power and lights remain strong and burning bright in order for the needs of the household to take place well. Men in the household are the electrical boxes. And when Christ comes in your life and changes it and you take him seriously, you become a conduit for the fear of the Lord, causing the souls and lights of the house to no longer flicker. But the souls and the lights in the house begin to burn bright and shine and build sustainability. All's because you said, I take God seriously. Father, we thank you. We honor you for your goodness and mercy and kindness that absolutely knows no end to God. And Lord God, we don't want to be flickering lights. We want to be shining lights for your glory. You built us to be a holy nation. And um, maybe there's someone here today where you recognize that you haven't drawn on the truth of the one who brings the power to our lives, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the conduit for the power of God coming to our life. What's that power? To be taken from spiritually being disconnected from God to being spiritually connected to God. Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection is what gives us the capacity. The, 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 the cross is the tower or the electric box, if you will, the conduit <laughs> to bring us from spiritually disconnected to connected. The resurrection from the grave is the reality that the power has been fully secured and can be distributed to those who believe that he died in their place. Forgive, forgave you of your sins, and he takes you from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. If you're here today and you want to place your confidence in Jesus being your power source, he's waiting. He says, I can, I can plug you in today, and this plug can never be unplugged because it's called everlasting life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior today, we'd love to talk to you about it. Hold your hand up in there if you say, I, I wanna meet him as Savior today, I wanna place my confidence in him. Anyone says, I, I want Jesus as my Savior. I want him to be my power source because I know that I'm a flickering light and that my capacity is dry and empty and I can't do what only you're saying Christ. I, can, I haven't been able to do this, I've tried it on my own, now I'm asking Christ to come in my life and be the unending source of connection to God so I can get connected to God, have my sins forgiven, have eternal life. Anyone, anyone today, hold your hand up in the air real high. Oh, high. Amen. Let our men come and let's celebrate. 
Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.